Let's pray. God, open our ears that we would hear the gospel, our eyes that we would see Jesus. May your Holy Spirit work upon us in our minds and our hearts so that as we listen to what's for many of us a familiar story, that you may join our hearts and minds to it and renew our imagination, just boldness uh, as we think about what it means to follow Jesus in our daily lives, creativity, sincerity. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> what a dramatic image we are offered this morning in Matthew's account of Jesus' calling of Peter, Andrew, James, and John. I mean, it, it's like a play, right? It, you know, you see this scene and you're like, wow, there's a lot going on here. You know, we kind of zoom right past it, but there's a lot going on here. All of them are at work. They're leaning into a vocation that they've been at for years. I mean, picture yourself. You're, you know, making that clever shortcut on a on a uh, Excel spreadsheet, right? Some of you are, <laughs> not me, and uh, others are engaged in doing the important work of counseling, or you know, maybe you're with your kids at home doing that work, and Jesus comes and says, "Stop everything." I want you to join me. Wow. I just say that because there's so much going on here. And uh, we miss it when we zoom past it just because it's familiar. Um, these four young men, they are fisher folk. They're sons of fishing families. They probably go back a few generations in the business Fishing was what they knew, what they did every day. Jesus comes along and says to them, follow me, and I will teach you how to fish for people. Fish for people. Well, that's another shock, right? What does that mean? Fish for people. What did they think he meant by it? Did they look at each other and say, Yes, that's exactly what I wanted someone I respect to say to me. I wanted someone to come up, and maybe even today, and say, I'm going to teach you how to fish for people instead of fish for fish. No, I really, I do not think that's what they thought at all, period. Um, what does seem to be the case from our text is that they did understand that Jesus' invitation which is more like a summons, right, with a promise attached to it, I think they did understand that what Jesus meant was that their lives were not going to be focused on the vocation that they knew. Instead, their lives were going to be focused on a new vocation that somehow had everything to do about human beings. Their focus, human beings. That's what your focus is from now on, human beings. I don't think they had a clue what he meant. 
Now, I don't know that. I am not a scholar. I read scholars. Uh, I'm not an ancient historian. I read ancient historians. But I, I'm pretty sure they didn't have any idea what he was talking about, except that there is a hint here that everything about their lives is going to somehow entail people. Well, we, of course, know the rest of the story. And we got to remember, when we read Gospels, right, uh, Matthew knew the rest of the story too, okay? He writes this to the early church. So when we hear this dramatic call and witness these four young men's daring response, it is no small thing to walk off the job, right? It's a dramatic response to walk off the job for the unknown. I mean, you know, we talk about quiet quitting, right? It was not quiet quitting. This was, (laughs) see a dad, (laughs) we're following Jesus. And then Matthew preserves Mark's original immediately, immediately, which I just love because tradition holds that, that Peter basically dictated Mark's gospel to Mark, and he wrote it down. You see Peter saying, going back to the original Mark, hey, and we did it immediately, <laughs> immediately. Um, well, like I said, Matthew knows what will happen. We, because we read the Bible, we know what will happen. The world is going to be turned upside down. Upside down by their ministry. Along the way, we also know that they're going to have failure. And not just a little bit. A lot of failure. Um, they're going to have amazing powerful, quote-unquote, successes in that they will heal people, they will go to people, the margins of society, and they will make sure they're included. They will tell the gospel story under threat of pain and death. It's amazing things that are going to happen. And according, of course, to the early church, Peter and Andrew will actually both be crucified, dying martyrs' deaths. So all of that. All of that. But I want to come back now to the metaphor that Jesus uses to get their attention in the first place, fishing for people. Because it's not just a clever turn of phrase. It really gets to the meaning of what it means to follow Jesus in the world. Jesus is about loving and caring for people, putting them in touch with God as God providentially provides the circumstances, blessing them with the same blessings that we have experienced, telling the story of the gospel in words and deeds. That's why our church's mission statement reads this way. Our mission is to actively seek the good of individuals, people, and the welfare of the city, lots of people, by embracing the good news of God's redemptive promise. So what, it, what Jesus is beginning here is actually, and this is not to zoom out a little bit, when, when Jesus calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John, 
he is doing what's the beginning of fulfilling a very ancient promise. A promise that's made to Abraham. That through Abraham and his lineage, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. The promise is that Abraham's descendants will be so many that they will be like the grains of sand on the seashore. That something like this is on Matthew's mind seems pretty clear, not just in the calling of these first four, but by the way he sets it up. Jesus comes to Capernaum, and Matthew says when he does that, he fulfills an Old Testament prophecy. And Hank read this. So that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. For those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. What happens right away? Oh, Peter, Andrew, James, John, we have work to do because this prophecy is fulfilled today in your midst. God always moves from, this is what Lee was talking about, I think it was last week, God always moves from working with particular people, the scandal of particularity, particular people, particular places, but then moves out to the universal. And this is what's going on in the calling of the disciples. And this is arguably why Matthew places it where he does in his telling of the gospel story. Right there, the promise is fulfilled to the Gentiles. I don't think they understood any of this. And Matthew actually hadn't written that introduction to it either when Jesus is calling the disciples. But we know. We know, right? Um, So what Jesus is beginning here with the calling forth of the community of his disciples is the beginning of the fulfillment of the original promise to Abraham. This is what we already said. I'm sorry, I lost my place. Oh, and another reason why I kind of think this is what's going on here is that a little bit later in Matthew's gospel, he draws attention to the same theme of God's movement toward all people, toward all people, every kind of person. And he does this many times in his gospel, but one place that he does it is quite interesting because we have, what do we have again? Fishing and nets, Right? In the 13th chapter of Matthew, uh, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. And the image that is there in that word and, and, and on the minds of the people that understood what he was saying, This isn't like those little weighted nets that you throw down and get a few fish, you know, if you're lucky. This is a drag net that's drugged between two boats. And the purpose of it is to get every kind of fish. 
So, you know, this theme of, of, of everything Jesus is doing being about fulfilling a promise for, of God to bless the whole world, every human being, every kind of human being, you got to have that in mind as you, um, as you read this. Otherwise, it's sort of one of these circumstances where you hear the story and you don't understand the fullness of it because you don't understand how Matthew's telling the story. And, you know, I have to say, I mean, it took me a long time to get to a point where I could hear these particular kinds of stories in Jesus' life against the rich backdrop of what God has always promised to do in the world, what God is doing in the world. So, what is there for us in all of this over two millennia later? Well, I would suggest a couple of takeaways. First, we need to make sure that we understand that these fishing and catching metaphors are about centering our vocational calling as Jesus' followers on serving our fellow human beings by actively seeking their good, by enabling human flourishing across every dimension. That's what the church should be known for. That's what every Christian should be known for. In other words, um, the fishing metaphors, well, let's face it. Who, who would hold it against someone who heard that for the first time and thought, that's frightening? You're telling me that your purpose in life is to follow somebody that told you to go out and catch me and that the whole Bible is about how to catch me. Well, you know, that is like, that's a little freaky, right? I mean, I don't, you know, you, you can't follow somebody for hearing that and going, that doesn't sound right, but what we need to do is we need to understand what the metaphor is all about, which is what we're trying to talk about today. That metaphor is meant to focus us on God's love for all people, every kind of person, and God's love for the whole person. In other words, emphatically, when we tell the story or refer to it or live it out in our lives, the focus is not on catching people, whatever that might mean. It's on bringing God's love and word and deed to all people, every kind of person and the whole person. And you know what? No surprise, the early church, you know, they're human, so I'm sure they messed up a lot. But by and large, it seems like the early church got this as attested by historical accounts. They were people who were known for attending to the needs of the unwanted, those in the margins, blessing their enemies. And when plagues came, the Christians attended to the sick while everyone else who was not yet sick headed for the hills. The early church was so well known for its acts of mercy, not only to those of their own community, but for all people, that the Emperor Julian, in trying to, to, to revive pagan religion, urged his priests to take a page from the early church and create policies to serve the poor and those at the margins so that the people would realize that the state, Rome, would care for them. They didn't need to go to the church. I guess he imagined that he could compete with the church in this way, 
continue his revival of the version of paganism that he was trying to revive. Well, it didn't work out. Turns out, turns out that the Christians did what they did because like the first disciples, they had reoriented their lives around the needs of people, every kind of person, and the needs of the whole person. And they had done this, and this is important, they had done this not as a growth strategy, not as a growth strategy, but because of Jesus' presence in and among them. And that is also why, by the way, that our mission statement, which has been around now for 20 years, says that our mission is to actively seek the good of individuals and the welfare of the city by embracing the good news of God's promise. It is not a strategy. It is what Jesus' followers do. It's plugged into the nature of God and how God reveals God's self-giving love in this world. They did it because they were disciples of Jesus. They saw themselves as those who had a part to play in the dramatic unfolding of God's movement of self-giving love that will one day reclaim the whole world as an arena saturated with human flourishing for all people. Now, Jesus is not likely calling many of you today to walk away from your like workaday vocation, whatever it might be. But he might be, but he might be. So think about it, okay? Um, but, he, you know, probably not for many of you. But any time we think about the calling of the first disciples, it's an opportunity, isn't it? To ask God to help us take stock of our lives and ask God to show us how we might work out the allocation of our time, talent, and resources to bless those God has drawn into our paths, to put them in touch with God's love through our words, our stories, and our deeds. Would you do that with me? I thought to myself this morning, can I say that? Would you do that? And then I thought, well, I can only say it if I say, would you do that with me? And so, point a finger right back at myself. Gift and task, the gifts of God, as we said in response to communion, the gifts of God um, are not meant to lay dormant within us, but to bless all people, every kind of person, and the whole person. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.